Christine was somewhere, laden with the paraphernalia and expectation of some human design, and in not one of these places was his presence relevant. He tried not to think about it. He tried not to panic, and to concentrate instead on tiny things, one at a time. He practiced on people. In cafes and checkout queues he would study them, and take in only physical details, the curve of an ear, a ridged fingernail, the asymmetric lift of one eyebrow. Every feature was odd in some way, once he focused on it, not that this disappointed him at all, for he was not looking for perfection or hoping to find a special value in the unique. He simply noticed and remembered. He filed every detail in his mind, disjointedly and without cross-reference, each alone for its isolated, particular, frangible self. He welcomed this dullness of perception in himself, for it would have been unbearable to dwell on anything more than how precious and how breakable were these vulnerable, separate, flawed parts of other people's bodies. Sometimes he knew he was staring at a stranger too hard and should apologize, but he didn't know what to be sorry for, for not knowing how his own mind worked for not being sure he bore more than a trivial surface resemblance to other human beings any more. He would have liked someone to tell it all to. He called his sister. She told him it would be fine for him to come for a few days if it was up to her, but Derek wasn't ready to see him. Listen, Ron, he accepts it was an accident, she said. So do I. But he's just not ready, you know. Ron did know, but he said nothing. I mean, Ron, criminal negligence is, well, what it says. You know. I know, he said. And as Derek says, six children died, plus the pregnant woman. Give us a few months. I've been in prison over five years. And then he says it just makes us look at our two and think, you know. Anyway, the extension's not finished. He left her another couple of messages. Then she sent him a big check with a note saying she trusted the enclosed would help him make a fresh start, somewhere new. She'd be in touch, she wrote. He called his former neighbor, Jeff, and thanked him for the card. It had meant a lot, he said, on his first Christmas in prison. That'd be Lynn, Jeff said. She sends cards to everybody. He left the words, even you, unspoken, but Ron heard them nonetheless. How's Kathy? Has Lynn seen her? Jeff hesitated. They're in touch, yeah. Doing better. Knocks his sideways, divorce, never mind everything else she's had to contend with. Ron said it would be good to meet up for a drink. They agreed on a day the following week. The next day, Jeff sent a text message to say he couldn't make it and he'd call soon, but he didn't. They'd found him a room for the first month and a social worker, and he worked the night shift for a while in a bakery, standing on a line wrapping buns and cakes in a warm, yellow-lit factory that smelled of sugar icing and machine oil. His fellow workers were all women who spoke rapidly to one another in their own language, 
and ignored him except to pass on commands about cellophane or cardboard boxes. To get away from all of that, he cashed his sister's check, bought an old Land Rover, and reverted to his life's previous pattern, the covering of distances. He knew how to measure a day or night in miles rather than in hours on a factory clock, and he found comfort in the old equation of roads travelled versus time spent equals a portion of his life somehow suspended in transit. As a boy he'd been fascinated by time zones, which he could hardly distinguish from time travel. If you went west, crossing zone after zone, going always back in time— One day would you be a man of twenty-one in a high chair with a bib and a spoon? Or going always east and forward, would you find yourself stooped and white-haired and still ten years old? It couldn't be so, of course, but he had concluded then that the secret was to keep moving. Forget about direction and destination, just...